Welcome to Heavy Networking from the Packet Pushers. Today we're tackling 5G networks. In particular, we're going to discuss service management and orchestration, or SMO, with sponsored Juniper Networks. So as carriers and service providers are looking to embrace disaggregated infrastructure and software and drive new business through technology such as network slicing, it's critical to have management and orchestration capabilities to coordinate hardware and software resources in the radio access network, the transport layer, and the network core. This is a complex technical and operational task. There's a lot of moving parts. You have to get high-level service requirements from OSS and BS systems. You have to understand the resources needed to meet those requirements. Then you have to go out and automatically provision the requisite infrastructure, and that can include wired and radio network gear, compute, applications. If you're operating in an open RAN environment, the software and infrastructure could be coming from different vendor providers. So once that service is assembled and running, you then have to make sure it's actually delivering as expected. There's a lot to do there. Our guide to how all this comes together via service management and orchestration is Konstantin Polychronopoulos. He is Group Vice President of 5G and Telco Cloud at Juniper Networks. Konstantin, welcome back to the podcast. And let's first start off at the high level, this notion of network slicing. Is there really a business case here? Great. Well, I'm glad to be back on a topic that uh, makes me uh, wake up every day and smile because I see it coming. <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, is there a case for um, a network slicing, right? Uh, perceived, you said, or uh, how do you put it? Perceived or otherwise. Right, right. So, you know, one of my goals is to help our customers, the service providers become a bit more than uh, packet pushers, uh, you know, pun not intended. But I'm tish. Seriously, I believe that uh, network slicing is probably the most the most vital uh, capability in the network if service providers are going to really effectively address both their bottom line and their uh, top line. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are many ways... Uh, to look at uh, network slicing and um, orchestration, etc. If we if we address network slicing as tenancy, taking tenancy, multi-tenancy to to the extreme, I don't think we'll be having this argument, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and and that's you know that's probably another way to look at it. Except that you know, in addition to supporting multi-tenancy, you attach a number of attributes to its uh, tenant, right? That uh, has to do with security, segmentation, the size of the use case uh, i can have uh, you know a tenant with 10 users or 10000 mm. right so uh, it 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 really leverages um you know evolution in in software technology um and so uh, i think what you're saying there is that there's a there's a plethora of use cases you could use it for machine to machine so you could isolate machine to machine traffic off as a tenant or and there's a customer who wants to do and maybe even not necessarily per customer, there's just a general purpose. So I'm thinking of somebody like a global controls company, you know, doing a global IoT, and they want to have a separate network slice just for their IoT strategy for some reason. Or maybe there's a, a service that you can offer, which is ultimately very low latency, ultra high reliability. Or maybe you're looking at isolating different levels of broadband. Maybe you want to offer, offer a business grade mobile broadband. It's not necessarily a per user or a per customer multi-tenancy. It might actually be a per serv service multi-tenancy. Absolutely. You got it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I'll put it even in a, in a simpler term, right? We're all familiar with multi-tenancy on, uh, on the machines that we use, right? We run multiple mm. applications 
Uh, multi-tenancy dates back, what, uh, 50, 60 years, back in the yeah. 64 mm-hmm. with Maltics. Um, and, um, uh, you know, we run multiple applications at the same time or many users on the same machine, but we have no control over how the processor and the memory is uh, allocated across the different applications, the different users. Now, think about multi-tenancy with the ability of the user to choose, you know, how the processor uh, how much of the you know compute power and the storage is allocated to their application or on a per application basis, right? So right, right. If we take it if we take it to 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 our world or five G or six G or what have you, uh, multi tenancy uh, gives you the ability to really uh, attach specific attributes again to your use case, mm. right? And 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 address segmentation, security, performance, quality of service. On a per tenant, right? Slash yep. slice. <laughs> so, so I guess I have to stop thinking about it like an enterprise, which is I have a network, and then this idea of slicing on an enterprise network, or even just a normal MPLS network, is is not the way we need to think about this because that never really worked. The potential was always there, and even though we use things like VLANs and and light verf lights and MPLS, we still weren't truly network slicing all we were doing was traffic isolation we actually weren't doing service isolation is that a way to approach this that's a great point actually mm. I, I i like the analogy here greg yeah. um yes enterprise slicing the way you uh, you cast it didn't yeah. work because it missed the key uh, aspect which is end to end a vlan yeah. is not going to save the day it's not going to give you really slicing but when you uh, when you are able to to deliver the end to end aspect of uh, service creation, even within the enterprise, the mm. network pricing becomes truly um, uh, valuable, beyond valuable in some cases, critical. Think about an enterprise mm-hmm. that allows you to that you know software that allows you to segment uh, yeah. DNA from engineering, right? Engineers hate to deal with you know IT or DNA or marketing, etc. So mm-hmm. you isolate. Mm-hmm. The part of the network and all the applications that um, uh, engineers need to do product development from what marketing needs, right? Yeah. And you attach different uh, access rights, uh, you know, sort of different RBAC, uh, different quality of service guarantees, etc. So I guess I was thinking. I, was thinking uh, I guess one of the use cases that I've seen is uh, emergency monitoring. So I'm thinking of a mining site or a construction site, and we're seeing a lot of workers, because of automation and tools, we're seeing workers <coughs> stop working in teams and more of them are working alone. And you know, if you're working in a 50-story high-rise and you're doing wiring on the 35th floor and you have an accident, people might not know. So they have this technology that they're talking about clipping to the – so if you don't – if you're horizontal and not moving, it sends out an alert. You want that traffic to absolutely get through. If there's a man down in a health and safety situation, this is a private 5G type application. This is what this is where uh, slicing could be valuable, as opposed to, you know, filling up the filling up the capacity with something else. That's a, that's a great example. Uh, mm. It sounds like you're becoming a believer. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, he's turned uh, it against you. He's turned it against you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I can imagine lots of use cases for private, you know, for private 5G as well as public 5G. And then the slices. The 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 challenge here is convincing customers 
that they need to buy a more complex solution because now if you start, and this is the thing, so if you believe that there's a, a need for slicing, a sufficient demand, right? It has to be big enough for the market, for customers to want it, to justify it. But at the same time, you're adding an awful lot of complexity. So then that becomes a challenge. I've got an operational challenge. I've got help desk. So like adding multi MPLS to the network makes it far more complicated than just having a single router table and everything's connected to the internet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I would challenge that position, actually. Mm. I think uh, things become a lot simpler with network slicing as long as you have uh, the automation layer that makes managing slices, provisioning, and deploying slices mm. a lot easier. I agree with you, but we're no yeah. longer in the days where you set up an APN and you have to go configure every single router in the path from the right. user to the application, right? So. Uh, no, I would say, you know, part of the promise of network slicing is is also to deliver the automation layer that makes, you know, network slicing easy to provision, consume, etc. So this is what we talked about last time, which is the idea of the RIC and the SMO in the 5G space is you can start to orchestrate the provisioning and the visibility and the observability of all these things. And, and that is what would make this more practical than, say, 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, that, that is true. Uh, again, you know, it's to the eye of the beholder. If you look at um, hyperscalers, public mm. cloud, uh, you can argue that they use some sort of, you know, network slicing uh, or slicing in general mm. that mm. involves also the application, the compute, the, the you know, uh, the, the storage, etc. So mm. it's, um, um, it's a, it, it, I'd like to think about it as a more general, uh, you know, uh, concept not just for 5G. Now, when you uh, think about slicing in 5G or in any wireless network, you need to be able to deliver uh, the segmentation, the quality of service, the SLA uh, guarantees across over the air. And that's where you know things become very complex because we have not been able to do that um, uh, with wireless technologies, right? So the RIC uh, comes into the picture basically as the... Um, operating system of the RAN that enables us to select mm. how users and how different slices and use cases are treated over the air, right? Both in the transmit yeah. and the receive. And just so our listeners know, sorry, the RIC means the RAN intelligent controller, and this is that sort of SDN layer for the RAN. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay. That's a very, and that's a piece of software that's very tight looped around the radio transmission and the radio reception. And monitoring frequencies, moving, and, and for that point, you've got to move handsets between frequencies as the frequencies change or as the spectrum adapts and as density changes, or if you hand them off from one to the other, right? The RAN is very important in terms of... That, that, that's part of what can be done, exactly, mm. right? Yeah, you know, think about, to, uh, I'm oversimplifying here, but think about a given band of spectrum, right? Now, if if we have a way to abstract the what we can call you know the transmit or receive um uh you know slices um in in um allocatable units right mm. and then mm. the rig gives us the ability to allocate specific number of those you know transmit receive slots to any slice yeah. if i have that ability now i can modulate you know dynamically in real time how the spectrum is utilized across or used and allocated across different use cases. That's a very powerful tool. That's only one of the you know few things mm. that uh, Rick can bring to the uh, to the control of the you know operator. That, right? All right. So that's that means that I can have 
we'll come back to that health and safety case where I've got man down monitoring. And, you know, I can allocate a certain set of radio slots, not a fixed spe- not a fixed frequency, not a piece of the spectrum, but a, a number of slots in the radio space to that use case. And I can be highly confident, you know, barring a complete radio outage or some sort of interference, that that call is always going to get through from that, that monitoring device. Precisely. And then I can, right, and then that works with SMO, which is service management orchestration, then to attach that. Uh, messaging as it comes off the radio network into the backbone. So then it welds it all through the the backhaul, welds it through the whole 5G base station infrastructure, monitoring, logging, billing, all the things that we do in a 5G base station. That's And so that service, that slice is actually mapped all the way through by a single tool. It's not the old days of stitching it like Greg sitting there, you know, and then hands it off to Drew, who hands it off to Constantine, who then, you know, we're all trying to match match slices if you like that's right yeah uh, you know it's important to remember uh the uh in the, the separation of the user plane from the control plane right um 3gpp mm-hmm. uh made that a mandate in in 5g and beyond right and that gives us um uh, huge fl- flexibility about how things happen at the user plane versus the control plane you don't have to necessarily do much on the control plane the control mm-hmm. plane is is what um uh, manages essentially the actuation points, the routers, the switches, uh, the servers, right, in mm-hmm. an end-to-end fashion, so that uh, the end result is exactly what you described, right? So in an emergency use case, you say, you know, my spectrum um, reflects, you know, uh, the management of, uh, or I can spread my spectrum, in, my spectrum in, uh, mm. in uh, let's say, uh, a hundred, uh, what we call resource blocks, PRBs, right? Mm. Yeah. I give to empty of those at any given time to the most critical use case, uh, emergency services. The rest are used for uh, other use cases. Right. Now, under an emergency situation, uh, you can you have the ability to take all 100 PRVs and allocate them to emergency services. But at the very minimum, you can guarantee that that 20% of PRVs will always be available for yeah. um, emergency services, right? So nothing can interfere with the allocation of that slice of the spectrum to uh, a critical use case, no matter yeah. how congested the network is. Yeah. And now take that and and reflect the configuration of all the switches and the routers in, uh, in the path, in the user plane, right? Across in an end-to-end fashion. So you get a true... Uh, guarantee that your services and the quality of that service is always going to be there. So it's right. a powerful, it's a powerful tool, right? So let's take a step back for a second because I feel like we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. The, the overall concept we're talking about is service management and orchestration, and under that is what service management and orchestration enables is this network slicing capability across all of these elements: uh, the RAN, the transport, the core routing, switching, uh, radio devices, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, of course, you know, uh, the SMO or uh, service management orchestration, of course, elevates the level of automation. Um, think, you know, about the old days, right? Think about, um, you know, the old-fashioned, uh, mo- you know, old-fashioned mobile versus cool mobile. Two different operators. One is doing things the old way, right, where you send, uh, trucks full of uh, equipment to set up your, um, you know, cell cell towers, etc. And then you have 
network engineers configure the connectivity, literally, you know, plug cables, configure the, you know, uh, its router and its server. And after a few months, you have a service and you plug it into a separate, um, you know, access uh, point mm. uh, name and you guarantee some sort of quality of service um, for the particular, um, you know, network versus um, leaning back in your chair, sitting in front of a console and being able to stand up, um, you know, a network in a matter of um, a few hours, maybe, you know, a few minutes, right? right. So really the effect of extreme automation uh, brought to bear uh, to enable not just network slicing, but any any type of um, onboarding of resources, virtual or physical, um, you automate uh, placement of uh, applications, you know, uh, it's no longer a physical box that runs your uh, gateway, you know, it's no longer a proprietary ATCA platform that uh, runs the GGSN, right? Now the GGSN is split into three different functions and those functions can run anywhere, not in the core network. They can run next to the cell, cell tower. Right. So They can run on a VM in the cell tower if provisioned. Exactly. So, right. uh, you know, automation, SMO, uh, enables you to abstract the network <coughs> and focus basically on the use case Mm. And the uh, quality that you want to deliver, uh, the dimensioning of the use case in terms of how many users, right? What kind of applications are going to be attached to that use case? Uh, what kind of um, uh, access rights, uh, etc. So all of that is automated. So, so um, the service manager orchestration tools, like this, the 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 product, not only. Um, provisions would provision the GGSN into a VM wherever it's necessary to do, or would use a physical one if the, and provision that if that's what's needed. That's right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. again, to make it a bit more specific, um, I use the you know example of GGSN because we can all relate to that, right? In in the mm -hmm. case of five G, we're talking about uh, the user plane function, right? That's part of the uh, gateway. Yeah. Uh, so UPF um, no longer runs in the core network in the national uh, you know data center or the regional data center yeah. it really it's provision uh, where uh, quality demands the upf to be provisioned so if latency is of critical importance to the particular use case mm. it lies upf can be provisioned on a server that is very close uh, to the access uh, point right, very you know, at the edge cloud or the far edge cloud. It can be provisioned um, in a five G tower if it's yeah. got enough power, well, but maybe yeah. that tower doesn't have it, and so there's another. Whereas before you used to back it all to to some major pop, you know, yeah. usually an old exchange, which had power and everything, and then you'd have this physical server running the UPF and the GGSN. You're saying now there's choices where you can provision them in virtual machines or on physical servers as you as you can. Wherever exactly. they need to be. So I want exactly. I want to understand something because you know we're talking about some great capabilities here, but I think most of our listeners, their experiences with carrier service providers, telcos, is when they call them up to get a service provision, we're talking multi-week, you know, at the soonest kind of engagements. You're talking about mm -hmm. fairly instantaneous access to services. So what do the carriers, the service providers, have to have in place? Because it sounds like there's a lot of abstraction happening here to actually make slicing real absolutely 
you know, oftentimes I use the example. Sometimes people ask me, my wife uh, makes jokes of me, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, my wife you, makes jokes of me. She doesn't particularly need technology to do that. <laughs> when she wants to tease me, she says, how's your slice going today? <laughs> so, uh, but, um, uh, you know, the example I use, sometimes they ask me, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm working on a dream, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, you know, I'm not Don Quixote, but um, I do. I do believe that the day when we can um, have you know the level of automation that would allow us to be able to stand up uh, an MVNO uh, at planet scale across, literally across the planet, uh, leveraging public clouds, on-prem clouds, you know, uh, data centers, um, uh, etc., virtual resources, physical resources, in a matter of an hour, right, mm -hmm. or half an hour, um, mm. not far from today. So it'll happen. And that, again, yeah. points to the, you know, where technology goes, right? The ability to really bring, as I said, extreme automation to bear and address user experience. So, uh, you know, it really boils down to, um, you know, leveraging some of the technologies that we have today already. You know, look at uh, mm. microservices and Kubernetes and the ability to, to, to leverage Kubernetes, for example, to address auto-scaling, uh, yeah. high availability at the cluster level. These are powerful technologies, right? So uh, service providers have not been uh, <coughs> fast in adapting those technologies that will uh, address efficiencies and and scale uh, yeah. their networks, right? Yeah, so, the way they used to reduce operational cost was to just not upgrade it or not right. reconfigure exactly. it, you know, like minimize the work that, you know, you locked in for a five-year contract. That meant right. nothing could change. And so operational cost was almost zero because nothing was going to change for That's the right. contract period, right? So um, we, we, do want, we do want to get down to that, you know, instantaneous, what uh, I think Drew said. Um, yeah. Instantaneous provisioning of a new use case, right? And operators are not of that mindset because they want to make sure that when they stand up a... Um, a network, yeah, um, MVN or whatever use case, right? They have to test it. They have to drive test it. They have to, you know, make sure that it works, right? And that takes weeks and months. Yeah, if, you know, if you really, uh, you know, maturity in 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 automation and and microservices uh, allows us to get to the point where you can have the cake and eat it too. You can stand yeah. up the use case and have full observability, right, and the ability to address failures in real yeah. time. So I think also this leads into, um, we talk a lot about SD-WAN and SASE here on Packet Pushes as an over-the-top. And the greatest feature that I like to see is permissionless networking. That is, I don't need a telco's permission to connect two points together. If, and I think the only competitive response at a business level that the telcos can have to that is to move to this sort of idea of fast provisioning, rapid provisioning, where right. if I ask for something, I get it. I don't want to wait six weeks, 12 weeks, you know, six months for the telco to give me permission to connect two points together. That's not how we work anymore. If they're going to do that, I'm just going to go and get an SD-WAN, you know. Exactly. Um, so I think the competitive dynamic has changed. And I, I, if the telco is going to be a gatekeeper and – want to be a middleman between connecting two points together. They've got to be better than the internet in some way. That's right. And, um, you know, part of the reason, you know, they don't feel the urgency to move fast is because, you know, um, the regulatory, um, yeah. 
you know, issues that allow operators essentially to carve out, you know, the market pie and, and say, okay, this is uh, operator X, this is operator Y, and nobody else can can enter the space, yeah. right? But that is so, getting, uh, you know, uh, disrupted. That's getting well. disrupted, yeah. Yep. Because they can't stop SD-WAN happening over the top. SD-WAN and, and private yeah, 5G. They're, they're yeah. getting disintermediated a lot. And I guess the, the, the flip side here is that SD-WAN adoption has been slow, so they're they have some time. How how? I guess the the question is: If I've got this technology from Juniper, how do I start to say to my bosses inside of a telco, what what's the value prop? Is it we talked about slicing and using the rick to generate the slices? But what about spectrum sharing? What about energy efficiency? What about tower sharing? Yeah, there you go. Uh, all of that can be addressed with uh, network slicing. I would say. You know, let's separate network slicing with um, the new capabilities that we can um, uh, we can enable in the 5G run or the 60, 6G run uh, with uh, the radio intelligent controller, mm. right? Uh, this is uh, again uh, the operating system of the of the run. That's how I call it, uh, and mm. uh, uh, it gives you hooks essentially uh, to uh, to address issues like energy efficiency. You know, yeah. you have now the ability to monitor the traffic, the number of users on a per sector, per cell site, right? And, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, uh, have now the ability to throw, for example, users, you have a cell site that uh, has only two UEs attached, two users attached, right? Yeah. Uh, those UEs can be visible by a neighboring cell site, right? So you can uh, move them to the neighboring cell site that has another X number of users and shut down that microcell. Uh, and then a, unload the GGSN, turn off some servers, or drop them into low power mode and use right. less power. So, right, and, and address power efficiency. Right, or you know, with uh, massive MIMO technologies and beamforming, etc. Now you have new capabilities in the network. Uh, we cannot manage them unless you have something like the radio intelligence controller that gives allows you know um, higher level you know uh, logic to modulate how mm. beamforming is used, how users are addressed by or, or served by different um, access points, uh, et cetera. So, uh, you know, uh, nobody has um, has uh, brought all of these capabilities, again, to market yet, but it's only a matter of time, right? And mm. the efficiencies, you know, TCO. So some of that's hypothetical, right? but if you had a RIC and an SMO type infrastructure, you're on the you, you're you're already moving down the path to that sort of capability. Precisely. No, it's not hypothetical at all. Uh, right. We have demonstrated that Juniper with uh, with our RIC, which I'm proud to say we believe it's the best uh, yeah. product in the market today. Uh, yeah. We have demonstrated uh, several X apps, right, and R apps, including energy efficiency. Uh, traffic steering and admission control. Um, admission control typically is um, anchored in the core network, right? Now we have built capabilities so that the radio negotiates with uh, the core network and decides, you know, how to admit users based on uh, parameters or, or conditions that you can set as an operator. Uh, you can, as I said, uh, throw users from one cell site to another cell site to address other uh, objectives in the network. So all of that is enabled with a combination of what the radio, how you can now manage the radio resources with the ability to stand up a network slice in an end-to-end fashion, right? So one of my um, 
you know, sometimes I'm contrarian, right? You look at private mobile and how the market is um, is moving in that direction, right? Uh, we don't mm-hmm. have a perfect recipe of how private mobile networks are going to be delivered or, or realized. And you have segmentation there, both in the go-to-market as well as in the packaging of the of, of the same sort of technologies. I believe that eventually service providers will be able to deliver um, private mobile networks to the enterprise uh, yeah. by simply sending the access points to them. They scan mm-hmm. them, they get onboarded, but then the actual service, the connectivity, uh, the number of users that will be serviced by that, you know, private mobile are all parameters in a network slice that can be provisioned almost instantaneously yeah. uh, by the service provider. So this is this idea that you could be on a private 5G in company offices or in range of a company private 5G, but when you leave the office, you roam onto a public network. That's correct. Yeah. Right. And that gives you the best of you know reducing call costs and reducing minutes, call minutes and data flows when the bulk of your, say, employees are office-bound or close to an office for the bulk of the time. And then when they leave, then you've still got the same service. So the user doesn't see a difference in service. Exactly. And, and you know, in doing so, by the way, you manage the way you have a say in the way your uh, data traffic is uh, is managed, right? And where right, it goes, yeah. for example, you know, you, you, you take uh, a case of a private mobile, you can have the UPF on-prem at the enterprise, yeah. right? So you don't have so to you can go... still backhaul it to your data center or your head uh, office or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Or maybe yeah. you even backhaul it to some third-party service which is doing scanning and threat threat analysis and and uh, uh, all those types of things, yeah. You got it, yep. Yep. So part of all of this uh, service management organization, uh, RICS and so on, it, all of this is being enabled in some ways by disaggregation, by openness. So if uh, I'm a telco and I'm Juniper's rolling up to me talking about SMO, am I looking at an all Juniper purchase or are you also trying to work within the broader ecosystem by allowing, say, third-party apps, third-party gear to operate under an SMO umbrella from Juniper? Uh, the latter is essential for uh, for these technologies to to become really um, uh, widely adopted. Absolutely, openness, uh, open APIs, and and the operator. That's you know part of the promise of um, you know five uh, G and what three GPP and Oran have been doing for years, right? To be able to uh, disaggregate uh, the networks, disaggregate uh, the you know core functions and allow operators to pick and choose, right? Best of breed. And um, um, so, yeah, no, you, you, we break away from the model of uh, vertical integration. That's not a way to go forward, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, necessitates open APIs, uh, adherence to SDOs, you know, to standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think the community is moving there with a few exceptions. But, um, you know, if you look at what's happening at Oran, um, we have, what, 320 uh, operators and major vendors essentially uh, committing to supporting Oran APIs and Oran uh, standards. Yeah. I have a sort of belief that Oran is, the, is going to, at the very least, define the APIs for interoperability between... Uh, all the vendors that bring together a, a range of products. It's not, there's no one company that can supply every product in a 5G setup. There's just so much of it, spectrum, uh, you know, across the thing. 
That's correct. Interoperability, yeah. open APIs, but also the core functionality, you know, the necessary mm. uh, functionality that each of these modules can support. And back to, to Drew's point, I think um, you're absolutely right. You know, cloud nat native technologies enable us to, to, to really uh, fast path the disaggregation um, journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe give an example of where Juniper's uh, supporting openness in either the SMO or the, the RIC elements? Well, Juniper is uh, one of the leading contributors. We are probably the biggest contributor in ORAN, for example. In ORAN. This is uh, the open radio yeah. access network. Uh, that that is correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So um, some of our senior technical leaders, um, uh, co-chair, task group one, the network slicing use case, and uh, we are the editors of the network slicing um, a group, um, major contributors to the working group six, which is really the SMO. Uh, we have participation uh, in all of the working groups at Oran. Um, one of our, again, uh, senior leaders, technical leaders, uh, is uh, contributing and is the co-author of the IETF specification for network slicing. Um, so we have broad participation in the SDOs, uh, spe specifically in Oran. Uh, and, uh, you know, pretty much everything we do at Juniper, including the radio intelligence controller, the SMO, the RAN SMO, the end-to-end -end network slice SMO, uh, you know, our solutions uh, strictly support 3GPP or an NITF and TMF and GSMA, the generic, uh, you know, network slice template, for example, requirements. They're all part of our core uh, strategy. So openness is, you know, first and foremost in everything we do. Mm -hmm. So one of the other core elements that we I sort of mentioned in the early intro is once you are able to pull together all of the infrastructure and software elements to get a slice together, you have to be able to monitor that service to make sure it's delivering. So what's Juniper's role on the service assurance side? Uh, service assurance um, is one thing, right? Uh, billing, because uh, you hinted both billing and service assurance. Sure. So yep. let's talk about service assurance, right? Um, it has two parts. One is observability. The other is uh, the ability to guarantee uh, the SLA, the service level agreement, mm -hmm. whether it comes in the form of uh, quality of service or, um, you know, um, some other performance metric, yeah. Uh, right, right, whatever. Uh, so uh, we have been focusing in particular on SLA adherence, right? Enforcing SLA dynamically. And um, uh, we use um, a number of, uh, you know, available tools and technologies in addition to what we have built in our SMO for uh, observability all the way down to um, uh, the user plane traffic. Uh, so, you know, these are two key components of our solution. Um, the ability to uh, to monitor in real time what's happening from the radio to every single uh, uh, data plane component that you know uh, in the network, uh -huh. and the ability to dynamically now that's where we I think we 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 have a major differentiation the ability to uh, modulate if you wish in real time how resources mm -hmm. are, are allocated. Uh, to always adhere to the attached SLA to that particular network slice. 
Mm. Um, and as you know, 3GPP mandates three use broad use cases, right? Slash slices. The yeah. EMPB, the enhanced mob, you know, mobile broadband, uh, which addresses essentially internet access, you know, broadband, right? Mm -hmm. Over 5G. Mm. Okay. Uh, the so-called URLLC or the ultra high reliability low latency use case, which is the way to deliver um, uh, services to autonomous cars or virtual reality, augmented reality, where low latency is is a hard you know requirement. Hmm. And then you have the massive machine-to-machine -machine communications, where you have the you know uh, billions of devices. You know the latest is what eighty billion devices are connected to the internet, right? Yeah. Type of protocol. So uh, those use cases are have different requirements, and they coexist in the same network, right? So so far, we address those needs by having physically separate networks. You know, you see LoRa networks, you see 2G dedicated to IoT, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 5G and and you know, cloud native technologies and network slicing and the radio intelligent controller. These are the building blocks that will allow us to deliver all these use cases and much more in the same through the same infrastructure. So this is this runs parallel to the idea that you know 20 years ago we had WANs and they ran frame relay and ATM and ISDN. We had you know various synchronous technologies, channelized synchronous technologies, and eventually those backbones converged into one because it didn't make sense. And each one of those old technologies was had a specific use case. Frame relay was used for bursty data. ATM was meant to give us a synchronous replacement for the synchronous services but eventually it was all converged onto ip because a single backbone made commercial sense in the sense one backbone one technology but it also made operational sense because it simplified the operation the cost of operating the network so you're suggesting to me here that 5g parallels that decision is that what is that what i'm hearing that instead exactly. of having multiple you know like you said mbiot low rawan uh you know various voice technologies it's all going to be just in 5g but then you have slicing problem that is correct. And if you solve the slicing problem, you got it. And by the way, you gave out uh, your aids. Uh, uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Not so loud. Not so loud. No. <laughs> yes, I'm a grumpy old network engineer. Some of my stuff is cynical. If you ever worked on ATM and frame relay, you'd be cynical <laughs> for the rest of your life as well. Oh. Um, so I guess... I can see that it would work in that sense. So if we're saying we're going to go from 2G, 3G, 4G, which has different physical, inst like when you're doing voice on 4G and 3G, it's actually a completely different set of protocols. And the voice isn't carried over IP, it's carried over a different protocol. But what we're saying here is in 4.5G and 5G, the voice is now over IP and therefore it's just part of one network. You've still got to treat it differently in a sense, a slice, not that we that you do necessarily, yeah. That's kind of what we're talking about. A bit like IP telephony back in the old days. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Mm. So you better be able to deliver quality voice over IP, right? If if that model is going to work. And that's where network slicing comes to save the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Uh, so, you know, uh, speaking of, um, to give you an example, uh, how uh, we leverage at Juniper, and, and, you know, um, I, I think as a community and, and many of the service providers are looking in, into that, you know, kind of model, the Oran disaggregated mm -hmm. uh, radio. Um, everything everything uh, runs on um, cloud native 
or virtualized, you know, VMs or, or Kubernetes clusters, right? So, and these clusters of VMs can run anywhere, anywhere in the infrastructure, including mm-hmm. hyperscaler networks, VPC, right? So you're no longer constrained by the physical limitations of the data center. Uh, you may have um, an edge cloud, or you may not have an edge cloud, then you can leverage, you know, some cloud provider, for example. And um, now you have from the service management and orchestration point of view, you have a, a way of federating all of these resources, physical, virtual resources, right, mm. into a central um, resource repository. Uh, from there now, uh, the SMO can decide how to do infrastructure management, where to allocate resources, right, virtual, physical, and how to do uh, the deployment of workloads. What are the workloads? Well, in a network, um, workloads can be anything. The data plane functions like the DU, the disaggregate mm. BBU, right, the CUDU, mm. um, virtual routers, uh, security applications that are part of the uh, network you scan you know uh, in addition to you know uh, you know VPNs etc you can have um, your own set of applications that run at um, a line speed in the data center I mean the, in the run right mm-hmm. so all of that now gets exposed to the um, what 3GPP calls the network subslice management function the NSSMF um, think of it as the core component of the run orchestration and you have you expose that either through command line interface or a slick UI to the uh, operator, and you can uh, create a use case simply by drawing and dropping icons that show Kubernetes clusters mm-hmm. or applications. You attach the application to uh, a Kubernetes cluster, and boom, everything happens. Everything gets provisioned mm-hmm. uh, and workloads deployed. Uh, and uh, SMO ensures that uh, the quality is there to deliver yeah. the SLA that you attach to the use case. Very powerful uh, paradigm. But I also think it's the operational advantage here. This is, you've got a single software tool doing all of the provisioning, the deprovisioning. Uh, it's, it's, it's doing asset management as well as all of this slicing. And I think that is the key advantage I would think to emphasize to people is that operationally, this is much more likely to work for a telco than their existing methods. Exactly. And think about mm. how it addresses TCO or OPEX, right? You mm. don't need a small army of network engineers to make it happen. Yeah, right? you don't need 80 network engineers and 10 of them work on this and 15 work on that and That's five true. of them are experts at this and this and, you know, and they all have to be, one of them from each team has to come together to provision anything. Exactly. Yeah. Constantine, I want to ask, we've been talking about SMO and network slicing in terms of carriers, telcos, and so on. Is there a potential opportunity for the cloud scale giants to move into this space? Because they've already got backbones, they've got pops, they've got expertise with multi-tenancy. They're very good at, uh, you know, dividing up and sharing resources. Is this an area they could get into or because they lack, you know, sort of that core infrastructure, particularly the tower stuff uh, that the telcos have that they can't? That's a great question. The the resounding answer, in my humble opinion, is yes, absolutely. Uh, and they do part of that already. Uh, you know, they don't need the tower. They can, you know, if you look at some of the, you know, big names here in, uh, you know, public clouds, yeah. 
they are moving in that direction, right? Um, yes, they don't own Spectrum, but they can uh, work with any operator. Mm-hmm. And the operator essentially, you know, can uh, tunnel all the traffic into a hyperscaler cloud, right? And don't have to worry about anything but their access points. There are, you know, that, that's something that, um, uh, you know, some of the hyperscalers are pushing, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, in, as a matter of fact, I believe that uh, network slicing and um, resource provisioning, uh, resource, you know, workload deployment, et cetera, the automation for those functions is going to become vital in the enterprise space. And I believe mm-hmm. network slicing eventually is going to become um, a key capability for the enterprise. Which is ironic because at the beginning you said the carriers and telcos don't just want to be packet pushers, but if the hyperscalers can move faster and essentially leverage the telcos as the packet pushers, they're sort of back in the same position if they themselves don't move to this you know, disaggregated hyperscale network slicing environment themselves. Yeah. So that's another way of saying uh, hyperscalers may eat uh, the operator's <laughs> lunch, right? Yes, that was the yeah. long-winded way of saying yeah. it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it what it is. Um, yeah, I, I think, and hyperscalers are very, you know, they have some of the best engineering teams and, and business leaders. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you have noticed moves, uh, decisive moves in that direction, right? Yeah, yeah I have, yeah. Yeah, and it's one, it's possible for them to do that, and they could even if they chose to, they can just become MVNOs to enter that market. They don't exactly exactly. And MVNO is the other network slicing addition that we haven't touched on today. Exactly. And by the way, uh, planet scale MVNOs, mind you. <laughs> yes, Not that's just, right. Because you know, they could lay it out with a global yeah. one over all of the local providers with the licenses and just yeah. Exactly. All right, we're running up against the limits of our time here, Constantine. Any final thought before we close? I just want to say that uh, if there is any doubt in your mind, uh, Drew, okay, uh, <laughs> please come and visit us at MWC next February, right? You yeah. will see network slicing, uh, end-to-end network slicing at work, right? Um, no, uh, on a closing note, uh, thank you very much for uh, the opportunity to share you know, my thoughts with you. Yeah. And um, I trust that um, come next year, we're going to see network slicing become a reality in a in a humble way, uh, 2024, I believe, is going to be a year of adoption. And right. I hope, you know, fingers crossed, I hope that, um, um, you know, that will eventually become a reality because I think it's a technology that uh, will bring tremendous value, not just to service providers, but also to the enterprise eventually. All right. We'll have to bring you back then and see if those predictions play out. But in the meantime, uh, thank you, Constantine, for joining us. And thanks to Juniper for being a sponsor. Uh, there will be a bunch of links uh, in the show notes that accompany this episode Uh, If you want to go check that out to get more information on SMO, on Open RAN, and everything that Juniper's doing uh, in the network slicing space. Uh, In the meantime, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more fine, free technical episodes along with our community blog. It's all at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at packetpushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, watch us on YouTube, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.